Hello, and welcome to another episode of uh, Fool's Daily. I'm joined by the ever-so-lovely Conrad. Hello! And we've got a special guest, Conrad. What, another Conrad? No, no, we haven't got another Conrad as a special guest. We've got, like, a games designer-type special guest. Miss phones when you need it. (laughs) (laughs) So, we are joined today by Mark Brendan. How are you doing? Who is a games designer. That's me. He's Scottish. <laughs> That's a good thing as well. Yeah, I didn't say it wasn't. My parents. Well, are it was a bit of a there was a downer there. <sighs> there wasn't. There wasn't. So Mark is here today to talk about um, his new game. It's not just yours, though, Mark, is it? I mean, there's a, there's no, there's a, there's a, there's a, group there's a huge number of us. There's about six, uh, sixteen of us at the last count on the project. Uh, the project leader is is not me either. I'm I'm game designer and writing, so I'm kind of rules monkey and uh, and scribe on it. The the guy who's put the whole project together and the creative director of it is John Robertson, but he lives in Malaysia, so he can't be with us today. <sighs> Poor excuse. <laughs> so we are talking. We are going to. We are talking about Age of Tyrants, which is. Um, on Kickstarter at the moment, it is a six mil sci-fi game uh, set in the Void universe. Um, for those of you who are old, like Conrad and myself, you will remember the Void universe uh, and you know the Junkers and Synths and all of that stuff. I hope I pronounced them right. But yeah. before we get into that. Um, as is tradition, Mark is going to give his, have his 30-second his bio. Though, having talked to Mark off-air beforehand, this may take slightly longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try and be succinct. Yeah, I mean, I'm a game designer and writer. Um, I started my career at Games Workshop on White Dwarf and then moved to Target Games, where I was, which is where I was first employed by John Robertson, who's the creative director, as I mentioned before, on the Age of Tyrants uh, project. There we worked on stuff like Warzone and Chronopia. After that, a new company was born, Icor, which is where Void came from, and that's the universe that this game is set in. That was round about the turn of the millennium, the year 2000. And after that, I did some Void stuff, did Keltos, which was a fantasy skirmish game, uh, also put out through Icor. I went off to be a a video game designer for about 10 years. Um, Didn't publish much as a video game designer, so I've come back to Tabletop and hooked up with John again to do Age of Tyrants. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That was that. See, that was very good. I was, that was very. That was very impressive. That was impressive. <laughs> Speed bio. There's <laughs> quite a lot crammed into that bio. I'm. I'm. I should have asked. Do you? What games do you actually play, John, um, Mark? I almost put you, John, there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, table tabletop wise, not a lot these days. If I'm to be entirely honest, I've got a. I've got a set of void here. A lot of time's been taken up with the playtesting of of Age of Tyrants. In the past, I've played a lot of um, played a lot of Epic. I've played uh, played a lot of the GW stuff. Really, uh, being an ex GW employee, yeah. so Warhammer 40k. Um, yeah, that's me. And you know, obviously, most of the the projects that I've worked on in the past, Keltos, Void, and uh, Warzone and Chronopia. Cool. All right. So let's. Let's talk Age of Tyrant. It's on kick, so it's on Kickstarter at the moment. Yeah, we've been going for uh, we've going for a week now. Yeah, this is exactly seven days since we launched it, and it is funded as well. It funded in two days, which was uh, rather gratifying. So yeah, we've, we've got a good core of people in for it, and uh, yeah, the, the 
the backers that are uh, with us at the moment are supporting us to the hilt. So big thanks to them. Yeah, we've got what? As I look, 192 backers, and that's right. Yeah, raised just, just, under just over 21 grand on a 20 yeah. on a 20 grand title, which is excellent for a you know a a new system. Um, I think that's I think that's really good. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pleased with it, so hopefully we can only grow it from here. We've got a lot more stuff in the pipeline in terms of stretch goals to add to that core game that we've got. So if we can pull in more backers, then we'll get yep. those stretch goals and the, and the game will expand. There'll be more variety in the uh, the units that you can choose for your armies. Okay. So tell us tell us about Age of Tyrants. I mean, I'm a ba- I'm, I'll hold my hand up. I backed it. Um but I don't know very, you know, I'm a sucker for six mil systems, and as listeners to this show know, I'm a sucker for new shinies anyway. Um, Thank you. But I don't know a massive amount about the Void universe, because I wasn't playing sci-fi games at that, the point that that was at, at the point that that was out. Um, I've got some, I've got some of the figures lying around the house that I use for other things, but I never really played in that universe. So wh- why don't you tell us about the Void universe and you know and then te- take us into the take us into the game and what people can expect from it. Okay, cool. Uh the the Void universe is a alternate hard sci-fi universe um where humans have colonized the galaxy so it's it's quite futuristic. They've got um really high-tech propulsion and transport systems and in terms of the weapons in the game and uh, we're, we're talking like you know plasma guns, lasers, Gauss rifles, that sort of thing, with equivalent armor to deal with that. So, all pretty futuristic and high tech, uh, inspired by the likes of Dune, Star Wars, uh, Aliens, you know your old sci-fi classic movies. Uh, initially, we made some skirmish games set in that universe, and for Age of Tyrants, we wanted to do a big mass battle system, which which kind of replicated, uh, you know. World War Two engagements, really, that's, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to take those World War Two engagements like Kursk, the biggest tank battle in history, uh, Stalingrad, the Normandy landings, the Battle of the Bulge, all this sort of thing, and bung it into that Void universe so we've got these huge battles going on. Uh, now, in terms of the factions that you can play, we've got four factions with the core game. If we, if we do well in the stretch goals, maybe a few more factions coming in. The ones that we've got, uh, three of them are human. One of them's an entirely robot-stroke drone force. Uh, of the three human ones, we've got the Junkers, which are uh, a sort of despotic, um, tyrannical uh, empire that's based on ancient Rome. And they, they play a bit like a, an ancient Roman army in terms of the fact that they've got these close, close assault, meat-grinding infantry and lots of them and they're backed up by a lot of heavy artillery so a bit like the Roman legions and their catapults and so on uh, we've got the Viridians who are a, a empire of traders and merchants and they, they look and play a bit like a modern NATO army so they're all about mobility um, there's the Syntho which is the aforementioned robots uh, they're, they're actually They've actually got humans in the background, but the, the, these humans uh, started experimenting with cybernetic upgrades, and they have access on their home planet to a, a unique mineral, which uh, they use to make artificial brains, so they field entirely robot and drone forces in, in combat. 
during the, the period in the timeline that the Age of Tyrants is set. So no crew at all on their vehicles, just a robot brain handling it. And their infantry is humanoid androids called androsynths. Uh, finally, there's uh, Vasa, um, who are also known as the Protectorate, and they're like this kind of intergalactic customs and police force, bit like sort of a cross between the UN and uh, and the old Soviet regime, and that's what they look like. Uh, their, their tanks, their infantry, their iconography is all kind of Cold War Soviet or World War II Soviet. Uh, yeah, that's another big succinct overview with a big info dump for you. I think that's um, that's it in terms of the background. Who, who are the good guys? There are, are no they, good guys. I was just about to say, are they good? Yeah. There's, I mean, I, I always go for a, a kind of no good guys, no bad guys policy. So they all, they all have, they all have their own agendas really that kind of grind up against one another and leads and leads to these flashpoints where they where they end up in battle with one another. So okay. ideologically and politically speaking, they all kind of. At some stage in the past, they've had alliances, they've tolerated one another, but they don't quite agree. And in this period, in the timeline of the Age of Tyrants, because we've got these other games that have been aforementioned, uh, which has got this whole timeline worked out for it. In the Age of Tyrants, everybody gets really cheesed off with one another, and it's no-holds-barred, all-out, big battle warfare with the factions all at each other's throats. So compared to the uh, the previous systems that you talked about... Are you from a faction perspective, have you is is everything going to be in Age of Tyrants or is this first? Fo- I, I don't know how many factions there are or races. Yeah, we've got um, we've got the first four in the core set. If we hit certain stretch goals, there's another four sort of sub factions that were in Urban War that we'll bring in. Um, those being uh, the triads the gladiators i won't go too much into into what these guys are but each of them each of them will essentially be uh, an adjunct to one of the the factions that's already there so triads will be an adjunct to vasa the gladiators will be an adjunct to the junkers um and for the viridians will be sort of adding just kind of extra specialist heavy units and for the for the synther, we'll actually be bringing some of the human guys in, uh, which we call well, I say humans, they're cyborgs really, um, called bi- uh, biomechs and prosthenes. They'll be getting added to the uh, as adjuncts to the synther army, but can play as a faction in their own right as well. Uh, there are also two more full factions which we haven't got in the game that are a bit further on in the timeline. But if we make our stretch goal targets, we'll move the timeline on and introduce them. There's the first alien race, which is the uh, the Coralon, which are sort of gribbly monsters from beyond the galactic rim, um, we, we've got like kind of weird um, teleporting type technology, kind of end um, space weapons and things like that. And uh, their thing is that they can they can also hybridize with with humans to create uh, to create sort of hideous. Um, monstrous versions of, of humans that they feel as, as sort of zombie slaves in their armies, and there's also the uh, the Neo Iskandrians, which is um, which is uh, they they stem from this human uh, guy called Iskandri, sort of based on loosely on Alexander the Great, who discovered this this amazing uh, kind of time warping technology, and he's been uh, sort of asleep in stasis for hundreds of years. But then he wakes up, creates an army of super beings using his tech, and then 
comes at everybody else to try and conquer the galaxy. So he's another faction that will be introduced further down the line. You can't go wrong with conquering the galaxy. You can't. No, everybody wants to do it. Who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So we've got four factions in the initial um, offering. Yeah. Yep. I, I was getting I was getting to the word. <laughs> That's helping you, helping you. You're very helpful, mate. Um if I'm sorry, if I'm coming in to look at the look at the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, what do I actually need to play the game? You know, it, one of the things that I found confusing when I was picking my pledge level was how many bases of troops make up, you know, the, a basic force sort of. Yeah, thing. I mean, you, you and many other people, uh, hands hands up to that one. We made some uh, we made some errors in, <laughs> in presenting that stuff. This is our first Kickstarter, so we're definitely rookies at, at this, and our pledge levels were pretty opaque, <laughs> to say the least. We've kind of fixed that now, but um, to answer your question, the minimum number of bases that you'll need is 17. That's a company. Right, so, so com- everything's on a 40 mil base, yes? 50 mil base. 50 mil base. Yeah, so so they're big, you know. The, the I mean, some people have been like wondering about the price point of the tanks, for example. They're saying what six quid for a tank for a six millimeter game, but this is a tank that fills out a fifty millimeter square base. We're talking like a super heavy vehicle here. Yeah, so a standard so tank for equivalent type of things on from Epic, for example, it's a shadow sword or exactly blade, yeah, that, blade, sword blade that type of thing. Or... Yeah. Okay, um. So, so your, your your company it consists of a captain at the head of it, which is a single base, and then four platoons. And it could be any four platoons. Uh, with your pledges, you'll, you'll essentially be buying platoons. And for every four platoons that you buy, we'll give you a free captain. You've got a company, and that's what you field. Uh, each platoon consists of four bases, and they've been... They're fixed sets that, that we've made up, and the compositions of them reflect the, the style of each of the uh, each of the armies. So, for example, Junkers are heavy on artillery, and the uh, and the Vass army is heavy on tanks because that's their thing. Okay. So uh, we've also uh, sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. I was I was going to say we've we've also got some uh, some fixed army deals up now. We're responding to a demand. It's something that really we should have done in the first place. It was uh, it was an elementary thing to do. We didn't. We were stuck in this idea of making it all really modular, and people could just make a pledge and uh, they could choose whatever they wanted. But people need some guidance, really, and yeah. and that's what was hugely lacking on there. So we've stuck some uh, some reasonably balanced starter forces up there that reflect the flavor of each of the uh, of each of the core factions so you can get um you can get three starter kits for each of the armies um so in terms of like you know what you have to lay down in terms of money a 48 quid pledge gets you an infantry company so that's 17 bases there'll be a couple of vehicles in there for support most of the bases will be infantry um if you take that pledge and then add a bit more to it for 60 quid, you can get uh, one of the mixed companies, which has got one platoon of vehicles and three platoons of infantry, and your captain, which is always a vehicle, or for 96 quid, that's the um, that's the next pledge up. You get an entirely armoured company, all of your platoons of vehicles, your captain, as ever, is a vehicle. Okay. So... Right. Okay. And so, what? what how many? Com- so you can pl- play company versus companies. Company versus company is the standard game that the uh, right. That, so that's that so that's so that's what you would you would consider your P 
pickup game size would be a company versus company. Yep. All right, that's, so that's what we would expect people to play in tournaments. But the thing is, it's it's so so incredibly modular in that sense that like you know uh, it's designed to be played in a four by four play, um, playing area, and you can get a game of that in in about an hour. Um, so, after you've set up terrain. So so that so that's actually really good then. So if I look at a mix, so the mixed companies were sixty quid pledge level, yep. but that's it. That's all. I only need to buy a mixed company, and I'm playing what you would be your in air quotes, tournament game size. Yeah, uh, against an opponent who's got, who's got something the same. Yes. Yeah. So, so what about uh, rules and any other paraphernalia? Because, I mean, uh, the, it, there seems to be a trend towards um, extra stuff, you know, whether it be templates, tokens, uh, and stuff like that. What, what, what else do you need to, to play the game? We'll be giving away PDF versions of the rulebook for the lower level pledges, so one and two. And for pledge levels three and above, you'll get a printed copy of the rulebook. Um, you can also, if you, if you do one of the lower pledge levels, you can also buy as an add-on the rulebook. It costs 12 quid. Uh, there's also counters. Um, some of them will be available as PDFs for the lower pledge levels. And again, you could get um, printed like sort of, you know, thick plastic die-cut versions of them. Uh, for the higher pledge levels, giving away free. They they, um, they didn't go to bendyboards.co.uk though, Conrad. Didn't they? No. Oh no! They missed the trick. That's, there, then. that's one of my that's one of my other companies does um, laser cut MDF terrain and stuff. Oh, Mike, <laughs> but I shan't hold Heart it. Ag- apology. <laughs> I'm not going to hold it against you. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> I have chagrined. <laughs> no, so, so that's, that's very cool. So, Conrad brought up the rule book. How, hmm. how do you play? You're, we've got this um, kind of, we call it, we say it's innovative. I haven't seen a, a, a game system that, another game system that does it. But we've got this command and control system, which is all tied into the idea of combined arms. So this is the notion that different parts of your army can pull together against a common objective, focus their force on it, and defeat it. And the way that that is done is through the command structure. So the leaders of the army, which is the captain, and each platoon has got a a lieutenant in charge of it, have a number of command points. So when it's your turn to go, you activate a leader and he's got four command points to spend. It costs him one point to activate a base within his command and get it to do something. The captain can activate any base in his company. A lieutenant can activate any base within his platoon. If the lieutenant wants to activate a base outside of his platoon, it costs him an extra command point. So... When you want to attack something, you can issue a command to one of your bases to attack it. Then you can get other bases to support it. So you can spend another couple of command points getting two more bases to fire, to throw their support fire in. And then that way, you've got a better chance of defeating your target. If you do things just one at a time, attack with one then attack with one, then attack with one, you've got a lot less chance of actually defeating your target. Now, where it gets even more interesting than that is that you can spend the extra command points to get something else from a different part of your army to help. So if you really needed artillery support, but there wasn't artillery within the platoon, 
the lieutenant could spend an extra command point to get on the radio to another lieutenant and say, can I borrow your artillery for this attack? And that will then give him a much better chance of doing the target. Uh, uh, the way that damage is handled in the game is it's uh, suppression points and bases can take three points of it before they're destroyed again this ties back to the command and control system the more suppression points a base has on it the harder it is to give it an order so as suppression mounts up you have to spend extra command points to get bases moving and doing stuff Players is there is there a range for your lieutenant how how much far his bases can be away from him? Nope, it's anywhere anywhere on the tabletop. I take the view with kind of modern warfare and sci-fi battles that the leaders have a more or less three hundred and sixty degree view of the battlefield. They've got instantaneous communications. There's no fog of war as such. We don't need those sort of cohesion rules. In fact, our game is based around the very idea that you want somebody who's up at the front being able to call on resources that are at the back to help him out. So if you've got your, uh, so if you've got your junker convict legionaries in close combat lobbing grenades and stabbing people with swords, you want an artillery guy who's right, right on your baseline to be able to pour in some support fire. We, we don't need to have um, any range restrictions on the uh, the lieutenants doing that. That would be counterproductive. Okay. So nothing goes wrong, basically? Um, from the, a technology point of view? From a technology point of view, no, not really. What, what, what goes wrong is that bases get suppressed and then they stop listening to orders and acting individually. So that was something that I was going to come on to. You'll find yourself in a situation as suppression mounts up and also as leaders inevitably get killed off that you can't give orders to everything. So what happens is you and your opponent alternate activating your leaders, giving orders, pulling bases together to try and defeat parts of your opponent's army. And then when all the leaders have had a go and there's no more leaders, then everything that didn't receive an order gets to have a go, but it acts individually. And as I said before, when things act individually, they're a lot less effective. They could still do something. They could still cause maybe a bit of suppression, but they're a lot less likely to destroy outright an enemy target unless it's already quite badly suppressed. Okay, so right, so it's it's I activate a leader, my opponent activates a leader. Yeah. But and my leader has four command points, and I could spend those command points as effectively as I want. Mm-hmm. to achieve the objective that I want. So could I order the same base to move four times, for example? No. Um, each base can only receive one order from its leader when it's that leader's go. Okay. So you, you, you can't do the I'm pushing this base to do something spectacular type deal. Uh, I can see where you arrive at that point. In fact, you're not the first person to say, does it work like that? The answer is no. Each, okay. base, gets, each base gets one order, and then you... Give okay. an order to and is that one order per leader, or is it? I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, from marking where the units have activated and things on the tabletop and stuff. Um, is it one unit per le- one order per leader, or one order for effectively the whole game turn? It's a, it's it's sort of one order per leader. So, well, it's actually more than one order per leader. So, the leader activates. He's got four command points to spend. He could give an attack and support order to to three of the bases in the command and then for another base he could perhaps make it move at the double or if he wanted it to take some R&R if it was suppressed he could get it out of combat so he could give it a different order it's just you know expends his command points on 
Okay. So it makes your leaders incredibly important then? Your leaders are very important, and for that reason, we've got target priority rules in it so that you can't just go, I'm going to kill that guy, that guy, and that guy, no matter where it is on the tabletop, as long as I can see it. Instead, we go, if you're firing at stats-wise, the combat stats are broken down into into three main combat stats. There's anti-materiel, which is for firing against armor targets. Yeah. There's anti-personnel, which is firing against infantry targets, and there's support, which is a generic, I'm throwing in support on some of the base's attack. So it's just a number that they add for the weapons it's got. Uh, if you choose to shoot, to do anti-materiel fire with your attacking base, it's got to do it at the closest base of the type that it can see. Right. So it can't just, if the leader's behind, if you've got a leader in an APC behind a tank, You've got to get through the tank to get to the leader. So Can't positioning and maneuver is very important. Okay. Yes. So it looks as though movement and positioning is, as you said, is important because to otherwise you'd end up in a situation where you'd just be sniping characters essentially. Essentially, yes. Um, and we, we've got them. Uh, the, the main scenario for the game is just defeat fifty percent of your uh, of your opponent's force, and because they're slightly asymmetrical, there's seventeen per company. That's quite easy to see when that occurs but we've got some other scenarios including um a decapitation scenario which is to kill your enemy's leadership off <laughs> yeah i was going to i was going to i was going to i was going to that was going to be my next question is is how do you score how do you how do you win because yeah, everyone wants so to victory, victory conditions we've got a number of different scenarios most of them are in the advanced rules section of the book the the generic one is 50 percent kill rate then there's there's a few others. There's the decapitation one that I mentioned. There's um, there's a domination one, which is uh, which is to hold strategic pieces of terrain on the tabletop, which is to be decided by the players. Um, and there's also ones, for example, like breakout missions, where you've got asymmetrical battles, where there might be more defenders than attackers, and the attackers have just got to escape with you know, a. a percentage of their force intact off the uh, off the attacker's deployment table edge and um, what dice is it using a d6 pretty much is what it uses yeah um combat rules are they're fairly simple the way that, the way that a combat rule is calculated is you take the combat stat of the attacking base the value of any support bases add that in any modifiers that might apply, there aren't many, um, such as being in an elevated position or the target base has what's called a vulnerable counter on it. There are some of the orders that you can do which makes targets, uh, which makes bases vulnerable after completing them because they overstretch themselves. Right. Um, those are pretty much the main modifiers. Add them on and then add the result of a D6. That gives you a result. Your opponent has got what's called an SR value. It's like it's armor save, really. It's called suppression resistance. That stat, plus a D6, plus there might be some defensive modifiers that apply, for example, certain types of unit in certain types of terrain, such as infantry in uh, inside buildings or in, uh, inside built-up areas or woodlands and things like that. Get bonuses to that. They add up that value, subtract it from the attacker's score. If it's a positive result, it's likely going to do something. If the result is six or better, it destroys the base outright. And then below that, there's a couple of examples of suppression on the on the combat table. Bombardments are an interesting one, actually. You can use your artillery to either destroy something outright, or you can attempt to 
do what's like you know a fire for effect, yeah. which is where you put a, an area effect template down. So the the base that issues the order acts as spotter. So that's one of your leaders. This is why all the artillery platoons have an APC in charge of them because that's quite manoeuvrable and it can get out there right. and spot targets. You place the template over a target point on the tabletop. Anything that's underneath it gets hit by the bombardment. And then it's a similar it's a similar role to the attack table role, but it's a different results table. And what happens on that table is it's much less likely to cause suppression damage, but what it does do is it either activates or it adds vulnerable counters to the, uh, to the bases that are affected by it. And in that way, you deny ground, you deny action to the enemy. So bombardments, that's what they're about. Okay. Do, you, do you have any sort of orbital stuff as well? We'll be bringing that in. We've got um, we've got what are called command cards in the uh, in the advanced rules section where you can do things like orbital bombardment. So a leader will, in lieu of doing an order, um, that's actually something that we might tweak. We might allow them to do orders as well. I need to review that before we do final copy on it. But anyway, I digress. You can pull in things like an orbital bombardment, a medivac, or you could enhance an order that you're doing, such as an attack, you get bonuses on it, perhaps even allow you to attack a second time. Uh, that's that's by playing these one-off cards. Each leader, each, well, each captain of your army gets one that it can play during the course of the battle, and the idea is they might turn the tide at a key point. Yep. Um, the questions that are occurring to me while you're talking, what are the figures made out of? We've got... Uh, the tanks are made out of resin uh, with some additional metal components, and the infantry are made out of metal as well. I think John would actually be a better person than I to ask about that. <laughs> as I was alluding to before, I'm rules and writing monkey and not production guy. But Why is it we always get the rules and writing monkeys on, and they always go, I don't know anything about production? <laughs> <laughs> I can only apologise for my ignorance. Uh, whenever, 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 we talk to, whenever we talk to the guys from Weird, we always, we we have Justin, who's the head rules writer from Weird on, and he so that's a stock answer. Is <laughs> I don't know yeah. anything about production, mate. <laughs> I know that, that's that, that's one of the problems. You see, like John knows everything about like sort of art, um, art direction and production and the project management on it. But if you to ask him about like kind of the the, the gameplay and and that sort of stuff, you'd kind of be getting the same answers. answer I've just given for production from him because I can speak, I can speak with authority about how the game plays, but I can't speak with as much authority about how it's actually physically made. <laughs> oh, see, so that, you probably won't know the answer to my next question then, which is, do you have unit cards? Oh, yes. I oh. do know the answer to that. We do. Um, so, yeah, you'll get, a pro, you'll get a profile card for each of the, uh, for each of the units in the, in the game. In fact, yeah, I can speak with authority on that because I actually designed the mock-up for it. <laughs> oh, that, that, no, that's, see, that's, that's brilliant because it's, it's one of those modern game trends that I think is just so good. Yeah, it's, it'll be on a po- like a standard like so you know poker playing card sized card. You'll get the uh, you'll get all the stats that you need. And will for it have a picture of the unit as well? And I'll have a picture of the unit on it. Good. Yeah, because that's it's it's. I'm going to digress slightly. It's one of the major things that puts me off playing Infinity. Okay, because, so it's all tables and things because, like that. Because yeah. well, you look. I you look at the, model, I look at the models up, and I don't know what models relate to what names and then their stats. There's nothing handy to have. <sighs> But that's yeah. just, I'm just ranting. I'll rant otherwise. <laughs> yeah. um, so my other, the other question that occurred to me while you're talking: points values. 
very simple indeed. In fact, a complete headache for me because of how simple they were because I've got to cram all all of the various nuances into into an incredibly simplified point system. So infantry, a point a base. Elite infantry, like sort of, you know, jump troopers and uh, heavy exosuits. And APCs, two points a base. This is for the core game that I'm talking about now. Yeah. And tanks and artillery, three points a base. That's it. Okay, so a tank... A tank company, a tank from the Viridian is directly comparable to a tank from the Syntha. It is. In terms of points, but not necessarily its roles on the battlefield. No, of course, the the role on the battlefield, we've got like, you know, four like sort of key key points of change where where all the nuance gets put into it. And that is, we've got combat, we've got um, combat ranges, we've got shooting ranges in it. For, for combat, so you've got an anti-materiel, an anti-personnel, and a support value for each of the different uh, ranges that we're at. So we've got a close combat range, a short range, a medium range, and a long range. So you get a lot of variation across there. So you get some things which are long range and quite shooty, but they're crap close up. We've got some all-rounders, and we've got some things that are excelling the, the close and the short range band. And then on top of that... We've got the anti-material, anti-personnel split. So some things are spec'd to be good against infantry. Some things are spec'd to be good against vehicles. Some things are, again, all-rounders, jack-of-all-trades. And that's, where, that's, that's essentially where the variation comes in, but otherwise they're comparable in terms of points and balance. So, it's, uh, so yeah, it's, um, I suppose it's not what you've got. It's where you stick it. <laughs> it's how you use them. Um. Right, so there's going to be inevitable comparisons with Epic. Inevitably, yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, I think I suppose I, I hope I've answered the questions on how it's different. I th- I, no, I think I think you have. I think I, you have, yeah. Because yeah. the, the command and control mechanism is, compl- you know, it's it's com- a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I suppose it is just people are going to go, oh, it's Epic. You know, those 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 people that play that. Those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, when someone sees like so, you know a six millimeter sci-fi game come out with a lot of tanks and that, they're, they're going to say, well, well, you know, yeah, there, there are others, and of course, the, and of course, there's Epic, which is the which is the industry standard for it. It's been around for a lot of years. I've enjoyed plenty of games of Epic myself, but yeah. from a gameplay point of view, this is different. A, no, it sounds it sounds very different. Um, I quite like the idea of the command points. I think that there's some interesting tactical nuances there. Um, what sort of terrain density on the tables are you? Is it just like standard sort of gaming? Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of go for it. I mean, um, when we did some of the playtesting, we actually did it with, with not a lot of terrain, to be honest, and it, it still made for a very enjoyable battle. I can imagine it, you know, it becomes even more tactical if, uh, if you up the, the density of terrain. You know, if you get it up to about like 50% terrain density on the table, it can be a real game of cat and mouse, I would have thought, because of all the positioning rules. You you seem to have um, geared. You you talked about the sort of standard game, potentially for sort of event or tournament type gaming sort of thing. Uh, is, is that an intention for the rule? You know that that it will be. Flick- uh, I, I didn't. I, I certainly didn't design anything with with that as 
with that uppermost in my mind, but it, it actually came along later on in the project when John asked, you know, how well is this going to stand up for uh, for tournament play? And that's where we came up with, um, we've had various ways of composing your army. You know, this game's been in development for a long time. We've had various iterations of it. And we came up with the idea of the, the 4 by 4 battlefield with uh, the single company consisting of four platoons and a captain being against each other as, as the nice, you know, quick get a few games in tournament play. But it can be expanded upon. I think I was, I was going to touch on that earlier on. So if you add another 4 by 4 playing area to that and stick it on the side, then you can get two more companies involved. You could potentially do that with four players with a player in charge of each company or you could have, you know, one player in charge of two, to- uh, two companies. Okay. Depends how big you want to go for it go with it it's modular in that sense every four by four playing area you add you can get another couple of companies on so you're you're, you're then heading towards those huge multiplayer world war ii-esque type games oh god yeah yeah the, yeah, yeah 16 foot by eight foot tables and things like that yeah that'd be right up your street conrad it would be yeah yeah <laughs> good to know yeah. Uh, and I noticed that you're working in partnership with a number of companies as well, you know, Deep Cut and um, yeah, so, Vector for MDF yeah. buildings and things like that. that That's right, well. yeah. So so we've got, like, you know, all our partner products coming along. Um, again, stretch goals-wise, if we, if we unlock them, uh, we unlock the stretch goals, we unlock things like gaming mats, buildings become available. Yeah, all good stuff. There's no bendy boards there again, Mike. I just thought that. Uh... I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Conrad. Blimp, blimp, John. I'm, I'm writing in rules, guys. Yes, yes. Mark so, isn't in charge of production. And John's so, hiding in Malaysia. So. so so the big question is, the rules, are, are, are as far as you're concerned, they're more or less done? They've got, you know, they're not beta, they're, they're, or they still a slight work in so progress? The, the, the ones that are available um, for download for people to try out on the Age of Tyrants website are beta. Um, but that, that particular set of rules have gone off for final edit. Actually, Jake Thornton's doing our, our final edit on that because, you know, one of his other hats, being apart from being a good game designer, is that he's professionally an editor as well. So he's handling that role for us. Now, I've got a list of further tweaks based on feedback because we've played some other games since that went off for final edit, um, which are going in, but they're all really minor things and they're not going to change that much from, uh, from what's out there at the moment. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. For example, what I was talking about before with the command cards, I'm still, I'm still con- considering a tweak to them, but may or may not. As it is at the moment, you play them in lieu of playing an order. I might, I might actually down, like reduce the the power on some of them um, and make them playable. Just as I'm chucking this in to to enhance an order rather than be instead of an order. Potentially, they could be a points cost as well. Potentially, yeah. At the moment, they're at the moment they're just given free, and mm. I've tried I've tried to make them all effectively around about the, the same worth. So there's nothing that's the must-have, and you ignore everything else. But I'm not convinced that I've got the balance on that right yet. So there's potentially some work to be done yet on the command cards, but they're an advanced optional rule anyway, so they're not going to affect your core game. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things that uh, I've noticed specifically from some of the games that have been kickstarted is that is that potentially there's not been enough play testing done so when the game does go live as such to to the the punters out there 
loophole starts being they start appearing yeah exploits did, like that. yeah well it's not only exploits but then yeah. there's certain design for some philosophies you know something as simple as if you take Gilball for example the design of their cards mm. is not necessarily the best and so in season two they've redesigned their cards uh, and obviously any rule set is only as good as the playtesters um, and the amount of playtesting and even when there is a lot of playtesting there's there's still essentially the permutation where something can be exploited as such. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think you've just answered the question there. Even even with lots of playtesting, so exactly I'm, right. Yeah. I'm not going to hand on heart say that this is a perfect and an ultimate set of rules, because you know, it might thing. change. We might have to do a, might have to it, do a second edition at some point. Um, but and and also, well, I mean, the beauty of doing everything with like digitally with PDFs and things like that these days is we can make it an evolving thing. However, you know, we're reasonably confident in the set of rules that we've got. Uh, we've had some great feedback along the way and people have you know we've had people who've thoroughly enjoyed playing it i'll you know don't know, I don't know how you feel about name dropping like sort of you know um other broadcasters in here but warren at beasts of war had a whale of a time playing it he really enjoyed it he's easily pleased though <laughs> fair play um, so so yeah uh, but uh, that's a bit t- harsh conrad <laughs> <laughs> we've been he's- we've been developing it um since about 2008 you know, and we've, we've come close to launching it several times over the years, but then, like, you know, things have happened, life's gotten in the way. I've, I've had full-time jobs in between and then went away and then came back to this project. I've always, like, kind of ended up coming back to this this project. And now, finally, it's all come together in these last couple of months with some, like, you know, more intensive playtesting Um particularly involving myself because I was a bit hands-off on it in the, in the previous iteration, so it was more a case of me liaising with the playtesters. Uh, to be honest, I prefer to be hands-off as a game designer with the playtesting and observe goings-on rather than me actually trying to play it with somebody else because all my objectivity goes out the window then if I do that. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. So is that... Um, is that really the answer to the why Kickstarter question? Is because... You know, the stars basically aligned, and now was the time, and Kickstarter is a good way to get all the money. Because, you know, I, so. I, mean, I mean, we had like, a, even like sort of two years ago, we were talking about doing it as Kickstarter. But the fact is, um, we, we're not going to be able to afford to fund the production of this. That's, that's why that's why Kickstarter. Right. It's as simple. It's as simple as that. If it's not Kickstarter, then it's then it's venture capitalists and the bank. Yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to convince. Um, like you know, of or in terms of like, you know, oh, it's just another tabletop game because they don't know the industry. We can at least talk with authority to people about why we're different and why this is a, this is a quality product, and people will know what we're talking about on Kickstarter. Whereas venture capitalists in the bank, you know, they're going to be just much more concerned on the the commercial comeback. Yeah. From it. So if we involve those guys, it's going to take some of the control of it out of our hands, and it'll be a a product a product that's made with a much more commercial. Uh, viewpoint than than us being you know lovers of games and gaming, making it for for essentially the the labour of love rather than the uh, rather than the the bottom line. I'm going to play devil's advocate and go back to the the rules thing. If how, what are you going to do? Are you going to sort of release updated PDFs, make them available to the guys who've already bought rules, or? Um, my my honest answer is, um, I I don't know. Okay. Uh, 
That's fair enough. That is that's more. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I would think of it more in terms of like you know, at some point further down the line, there might be you know, if there's things that need to be addressed in it, there might be uh, there might be a second edition of the printed rules released. Whether we'll actually kind of give that to people or require people to buy it, I I can't answer that question. Uh, but in terms of the PDFs, since they're PDFs, yeah, those will probably be free. Okay. Uh, yeah, haven't <laughs> haven't actually thought about like that. that one. The, I mean, there again, is all, again, there again, is all... it's, again. It's back to the uh, you know that's 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 a production guy answer rather than yeah. a rules yeah. guy answer. Cool. Yeah, I think. Is there anything else that you wanted to wanted to say, Mark? There wasn't really. You know, I've, I've you know we talked about about the the game background where it came from and. And also the uh, the rules and the gameplay. My big thing is like how the gameplay is different. Oh, I suppose one thing I would say is like you know talk a little bit about our stretch goals. We've talked about this core game, which features infantry, elite infantry, APCs, artillery, and tanks. Yeah. Our stretch goals. The first one is some heroes, which give you different types of captain. Um, one in a tank, one in infantry. The generic captain is is in a, an APC and also they'll have enhanced command abilities and additional command cards next stretch up after that is an urban warfare set which has got new rules for buildings and about actually entering them and occupying them and will also feature claws from the urban war universe which are sort of you know 12 foot tall bipedal walker things with pilots inside them that are essentially heavy weapon walker platforms the like light tanks but they can go places that tanks can't uh we'll also be introducing light recon units some more favorites from the void and the uh, the urban war universe such as uh sand runners which are thermite lance wielding junker guys on the back of mutant camels um <laughs> I remember uh, those. Yeah. Saurian riders, which are the, the Viridian equivalent of, of those, but it's guys riding essentially velociraptors into battle. Um, Dune raiders, which are like quad bike uh, quad bikes with chain gunners on the back of them. Uh, Jaguar strike craft, which are hovercraft. Uh, I'm, I'm rambling now on what's going to be included in this recon set. And there's also going to be a, a set of flyers, which have... Um, Close assault craft uh, for doing ground attacks and aerial transports. So, yeah, there's a lot in the pipeline that's already been designed for this if we make our stretch goals that will massively increase the diversity of what you can play in the game. Cool. So, yeah, I think that's me done now. Yeah. Okay, that sounds sounds excellent. Well, as I say, I'm a backer. Thank you very much. And I'm going to persuade Conrad to be a backer as well. Conrad. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I do like the Cynthia, though. Oh, see, they're the ones I like. Oh, you see, well, then I can't be a backer, can I? Oh, you'll have to do faction versus faction. You'll have to contrive something for that. Yeah, my Cynthia's with a Z at the front. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're the bad Cynthia's, that's what you are. Dark Cynthia. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mark. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it. Thanks for having me. Um... And I think that's probably it until next time. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. See ya. You can contact Fools Daily on Twitter. We're at Fools Underbar Daily. Or via email, foolsdaily at outlook.com. <laughs>